0: John Copenhagen
1: and Al Warren. heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside,
0: and 105.0 AM Palm Springs.
2: You are back in the house of mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Joining me today, we've got a horror writer called Stephen Mark Rainey. Thanks for being here, Steve.
1: Initially, I started writing as just Mark Rainey, but then in the town where I live here in North Carolina, there were two other Mark Rainey's, two other Stephen Mark Rainey's, or Stephen Rainey's, I should say, and one of those Stephen Rainey's lived two doors down from me, so we became the mailman's nightmare, and so I decided for writing for the long haul, I'd just use my full name and hopefully avoid any um, uh, such errors, you know, or... uh, uh, misidentifications
2: interesting how that goes did do you um did you take the other Stephen mark rainies and and killed them off in your books
1: <laughs> i haven't <laughs> yet although i may have re- i tell you the the one Stephen rainey that li- literally lived two doors down in the same townhouse um, complex and this this goes back many years but apparently he was way behind on his debts. And so I started getting all of the collection notices because, you know, we had he was at what thirty-two twenty-three D and I was at thirty-two twenty three F. So uh yeah, it 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 got pretty weird there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to avoid cases of mistakes. I idea.
2: guess you never know what's gonna come after you. So you you primarily stick to horror and it looks like ghost and sort of um, scary stuff. Is is there a particular reason for that Do you compare that to kind of real life or day-to-day life is there something horrific?
1: I I have always loved scary stories, movies. I I when I was a kid, I grew up in an area rural, rural Small town, you know, with lots of woods around. And my earliest memory, my the, the earliest emotions I remember, are being afraid from the sounds that I would hear coming out of the darkness at night. We had whippoorwills that were, uh, they, they, you know, they have kind of a mournful, eerie call, and they were all around the house at night and. Uh, about that time, this was in the early 60s, and my dad always watched like The Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone. So I associated the sounds coming out of the woods with uh, like alien creatures, monstrous things. You couldn't convince me the little bird made those eerie noises. So my earliest recollections um, were of being of being scared. And the only thing I discovered that I liked more or more exhilarating, I guess you'd say, than being scared was scaring other people. So I became at a young age, I would come up with explanations and stories revolving, you know, anything in life that I could, that I could make scary, I enjoyed doing. And, and I think that's that, that certainly carried over in, uh, in my, Formative years as a kid, and then and then growing up, I drew scary monsters, uh, started writing scary tales, and uh, I still love it. I, I I just love that mode, you know.
2: I noticed that um, you took on the Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows was kind of a classic series. Like I remember that. I, I was I'm probably not much younger than you, but I remember. Uh, being in school and pretending to be sick so I could go home and watch The Dark Shadows because it was on at two and school was in until three. <laughs> so that's, uh. yeah, such a sad life, eh? But it was, it was a huge influence and stuff. And, and I didn't think of it as horrific, but it was suspenseful. So is that kind of how you cater your own stories?
1: In a lot of ways, yes. I, um, st- uh, when, when I first started or became aware of Dark Shadows, it was because we visited my grandparents down in Georgia. Dark Shadows aired in the afternoon there. But when I, when my family brought us back to my home in Virginia, the local channel didn't run Dark Shadows. And so I could only, unless you had cable TV at that time, we did not have cable, so but some friends of mine did. So I took every opportunity to invite myself over to their places so I could watch Dark Shadows, but, but I didn't, it, but you know, it was an ongoing series, a story that, that just kept going and going and going. So, but I only got to see little bits and pieces of it. So it became this sort of special, magical property. And so by the time, yeah, I think it was in 1969, my dad got cable TV for the house. So I got to watch Dark Shadows all the time. And that just cemented in my brain that, that this was a, uh, a wonderful show that, it, yeah, it was kind of creepy, but it was engaging on a very mysterious level. And I've always looked at Dark Shadows as uh, as having a kind of special magic that, that very few other uh, creative properties had.
2: Well, it was pretty amazing when you think that, um, though it was a soap in a sense, it, it really could keep your attention just with the writing, with the words, uh, some of the characters, it's not like they had a lot of effects.
1: Right. The The, the thing I can look at as an adult with Dark Shadows is, is when it was good, it was brilliant. I mean, the acting, the writing, uh, the music, visuals, all these things came together to make a, a just a wonderful experience. Now, Everybody, you know, pe- people tend to remember Dark Shadows for the bloopers, the gaffes, the tombstones that fall over, you know, uh, Barnabas Collins, you know, stumbling over words that it's like, what the heck? <laughs> you know? But those were um, inevitable, I guess, because this was essentially live TV. It just happened to be videotaped. So, But everything that happened on the set, it was just like a live production they couldn't afford to to do retakes and such in those days so uh whatever happened happened and so i think for a lot of people that that made it all the more endearing as a kid it was easy to not see those to for those things to not register it was all about the drama all about that 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 magic of the show and uh to this day it it's that magic that carries over
2: yeah i think it was fine i you know considering you know families like yours or mine could hardly f- afford or get cable <laughs> the times yeah. were so different than
1: <laughs> right right
2: i mean you know i i i, I sort of love having the, those memories but i i don't i don't look back at it badly
1: it makes them more special to me to to think you know nowadays we can Fun, whatever you want to watch, you can probably find it. You might have to pay a little bit for it, but so much is free. Back in those days, you got what was broadcast when it was broadcast. Or if you wanted to see a horror movie or any movie, you had to wait for it to come to the theater or television. And I, I don't know if if the younger generations quite <laughs> quite know what that 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 incredible anticipation was just for something like a movie you know they respect yeah
2: Yeah, because they no longer have that you don't have to be home at friday at seven to watch this movie or show or whatever nowadays nowadays it's just you know
1: right well you know they're on that rare occasion that i can't find something in particular that i'm looking for especially some older property you know i'm like what the heck (laughs) You know, you can find anything. Yeah, <laughs> so I get, I, I sometimes get a little bit irrationally uh, put yeah, out.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, it's sure changed. Uh, but how did you get involved in doing audio, the audio production, like the scripts for them for the
1: Dark Shadows? Like what? Would... Yeah, back in 1998, um, Elizabeth Massey, who is a uh, fellow writer and good friend of mine, we ended up. I think we met in the 80s at a convention, and we we hit it off and uh, uh, had gotten together and been good friends for a long time, and she called me up one day and said Harper Collins wanted to do a new series of novels based on the original Dark Shadows, and she said, you know more about Dark Shadows than anyone I know, would you like to co-write a novel? And so once she recovered from all the whooping and hollering on my end, yeah, we decided, yeah, this this is a great idea. And Harper Collins accepted the novel. It was quite an adventure writing, you know, co-writing a Dark Shadows novel. And it, it went well. We, we loved it and everything. But the producers at Big Finish, who later uh, did the Dark Shadows audio dramas uh, were familiar with Dreams of the Dark, which was the novel that uh, Elizabeth Massey and I wrote, and asked if I was interested in doing some audio scripts for their um, or the scripts for their audio dramas. And uh, once again, after the whooping and hollering was over with, I said yes, of course. I would. How,
2: how do you uh, like writing scripts? It's a different process.
1: It, it very different from. The fiction that I was accustomed to, but it was—it wasn't that hard an adjustment. Um, the first one I did, it was called uh, "Dark Shadows: Path of Fate." I had a little more oversight, I guess you'd say. I had to turn in outlines and sample passages, and they would say, "Yay or nay." This is this is the way to do it. This is not the way to do it. But the creative process was you know it was storytelling so it was just a matter of getting used to the technicalities more than anything and working within a specific uh word count you know that would translate to the the time frame of the audio drama so the first one path of fate um went out there and it's actually it it got it has gotten rave reviews that's that i'm just so gratified that within However, many of these audio dramas are out there now, a couple of hundred or something like that. It, it, it's one of those that has continually gotten good notice. By the time I did the second one, which was called Curse of the Pharaoh that dealt with a specific subplot from Dark Shadows, there was very little oversight at this point. They said, well, OK, he knows what he's doing, telling a good story. So that one went with, you know, it was it was just me telling the story that I wanted to tell based on the dark shadows property. And by the third one, they just said, have it. And so I had at it and really loved doing these. Now this, this goes back a few years and the business end of it, things, things got a little tense trying, trying to get the business matters of the, of the thing settled. So I had a lot of other irons in the fire so I did not after, once I got past that third one uh I, I moved on to other things but I tell you if I do get the opportunity to go back and write Dark Shadows it would be high up on my list of things yeah. to do.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's due. So I'll, I'll get the word out there. I'll get I'll get it going.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, how awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like the, love yeah. It. I love it.
2: That would be great. I think so, but you know they don't always yeah. listen to me. So, um, and you moved on to America Scares with with Elizabeth Massey as well. And now, do you have kind of a, a ghost and paranormal sort of side to you that you know that you like to write about? Uh,
1: that's a that, that's an interesting thing to try to answer because I am a diehard skeptic. I don't believe in necessarily paranormal. Uh, phenomenon or anything, I believe. You know, I, I think there might be preternatural things that are basically unexplained. They just they they happen, but but at the same time, from a the standpoint of exploring those in fiction, those are the things that that grip me. That the the hypotheticals, the what if, and the Ameriscares series. Uh, it, of course, it's for younger readers, you know, middle middle grade readers. And the allure of that when uh, Elizabeth Massey asked me if I were interested in contributing was my first thought was talk about the perfect project to to sort of get in touch with your inner child. And my inner child is one dominating son of a bitch, I can tell you. I mean, so uh, let's see, what have I done? I've done five, I think. So far, and we'll probably continue to do a few more, but it, for anyone who is not aware uh, of the property, it's, uh, Ameriscares is a series of, um, novels for young readers, uh, say ages eight to 14 or so. Uh, each book is set in one of the 50 states so that at the end of it all, there's going to be like 50 books, each one based in the folklore or myths or legends of each state. And the first one I did was, uh, called West Virginia Lair of the Mothman. And it, you know, it's about the Mothman from West Virginia. And then I, you know, and I've done several more, I just finished the Georgia book. It hasn't been published yet, but it's about Lake Lanier in Georgia, which is reputedly haunted. And my grandparents lived along Lake Lanier. So, um, uh, that was that was a special uh, personal interest to me. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed uh, exploring supernatural, preternatural things on a level that I think will both in, you know, hopefully sort of creep out kids, but also engage them, enthrall, enthrall.
2: you find it a challenge but to write about something you don't necessarily believe in?
1: Yes and no. On a practical level. It's you know it, it it's it's writing you know I, I have the technicalities of writing down pretty good I'm comfortable with them on the emotional or intuitive level uh, I have that backdrop of growing up with with fear of the unknown and it's so easy for me to still draw on those feelings and I mean I'm I've read. Lord knows how many scary books I've read in my lifetime. Probably way too many. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got influences up to here. So it's just, it's so natural for me to do this. Um, so I would say there's, there's the only challenge of it is to, is to keep coming up with something, if not new and fresh, something that is alluring, something that's going to grab readers that doesn't feel like it's been done over and over and over again that that's the challenge of it is is to make something uh uh novel in its approach
2: yeah it's an an interesting idea to get into the paranormal but i just wonder yeah i just wonder because if you were kind of doubting a lot of it you know if if it would be a challenge to you to write down you kind of go more like after the not so much doing it but after you finished you'd kind of go hmm
1: now, there, there's, a, there's a point because one of the things I can't bring myself to do is read something I've already written. It, that not, not usually. I mean, a lot of times I have to go back in and, and you know, edit. And if I'm uh, collecting older stories, such as the, the book that's just come out, like uh, this Fugue Devil Resurgence is my latest book. So I had to revisit some of my older stories. But going back and rereading my older work or even something i wrote last week i hesitate to say that i automatically don't like it but i tend to automatically not yeah. like it <laughs> because I'm, I'm 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 already you know i'm my brain is is moving on to whatever the next thing is that i want to do and sometimes to to, i guess to more address your point i will look back at stuff i've written and i think does that work is at at the time i thought it worked but i read it now and i think that i go far enough that i go too far i i second guess myself on everything so it's just a hell of a lot better if i don't if i don't go back and read this
2: i think that's natural because i i do that with myself and once it's published i'm
1: Uh, i'm I'm
2: out the door and when people start talking about it or they want to bring it back, I'm like, Oh, I, I have the same urge not to go back and look at stuff.
1: Yeah. Now this is, this is no doubt a sidetrack and I'm notorious for sidetracking, but you know, when I listened to the dark shadows audio dramas that I had written the the actors, you know, who were, who came from, Dark shadows. You know the, the the actors that I practically worshipped as a youngster. They're reading the lines that I wrote, and I am alternately thrilled and mortified because everything they read just seemed to highlight what I thought at the time were the inadequacies of what I was doing. I, I thought, did I really write that? That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> And it's being performer, you know. The, the, and, but I will say, uh, on the flip side of that, like at the end of Path of Fate, my first of the audio dramas, uh, Laura Parker, who played Angelique, uh, and who you know, when I was ten years old, she was the first woman I ever fell in love with, and he, and now she's performing a part or, or or lines for you know for this drama that I wrote. I literally forgot that I wrote it. I'm listening to it and I'm thinking she's, she's so good. She, <laughs> she elevated what I did. Um, and I, I, I wish I had more experiences that I could say my work was elevated because usually it's just me looking at it and going, Oh my God, what yeah. have I done?
2: But I think that's the whole thing. Isn't that something that most authors go through, you know, like that, that, you know, that syndrome there, where we yeah. think it's kind of like, it's fake. It's not real, you know, you know, I, think yeah. it, uh, you yeah. know, that I, I hear that a lot and I understand it because I feel I relate to a lot of this, especially the, uh, going back and feeling, you know, like that imposter syndrome and, <laughs> and I mm-hmm. so, you know, because other people like it, they take it somewhere and they enjoy it. And I think that's all that matters, you know?
1: I, yeah, I, I think, you're you're quite yeah. right. Yeah.
2: So, now your new one, and I see this Fugue Devil. Um, so you've taken some of the old short stories, and you've also put new ones in there. Um, is there something about a short story you like better than, let's say, a full book?
1: Uh, I've always appreciated short fiction from a reader's standpoint. Amongst my favorite reading matter it it, coming up in horror uh as a reader i think so much of what i read was short fiction going back to when i was in probably as far back as elementary school but i would read anthologies you know that um i don't know if you'd remember them but there were these alfred hitchcock like (laughs) stories to read at late at night you know our alfred hitchcock's monster museum so so many of the most memorable uh, mo- monster stories, horror th- things that moved me, things that touched me, were were short fiction. Uh, and in college, I read H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, a friend, that, you know, I, so many people that I, I mean, my peers, read H.P. Lovecraft as kids, but I did not. I was uh, a friend of mine in college had a bunch of those old uh, Lovecraft paperbacks. And he said, "This looks like stuff you would like." So. I started reading them one night. I lived out in the sticks. Ordinarily, there were what four other people lived in the house, but at this time I was alone. And for the first time since I was a little kid, I couldn't go to sleep. I was like, holy <laughs> crap, this stuff is scary. As a writer, I think I naturally gravitated toward short fiction. Of course, and I, and I love a lot of horror novels as well, but there's something about the construction. Of a story that, that sets up the necessarily, the necessary elements of, of the drama, of the characters, the setting. An awful lot of times it doesn't need to be carried out to full novel length. Funny does, but I, but I think that short form is, is just so uh, appropriate. To the emotion of
2: art. Yeah, it's 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 something I like still. Like when you mentioned Alfred Hitchcock, some of the the short ones and and Twilight Zone and and all of that. I think it gets to the point, and and you don't have to get into a lot of the characters' drama. You know, you don't have to get too deep into them.
1: Conversely, when I'm not reading scary things, I I I, I read a lot of nonfiction, and I and I love novels. Um, that aren't necessarily scary. You know, um, my favorite novel series outside of the, the scary field were the James Bond novels, not not horror. <laughs> I still, you know, I, I still love that stuff. But, yeah, the short form for horror, just, it really does have an allure for me. So I've, I've written several novels. I've enjoyed them. But I think for the impact, the sense of immediacy, in a short story, uh, uh, to me really does. Do
2: you like to create a story around, is it like a, um, a question or is it around a character? Like, you know, so do you have like some sort of question, like, you know, if if the world was this or if, you know, where everyone looked a certain way and someone was different, Mm -hmm. or do you go to a character and base your story around a character? What's your favorite or do you have one?
1: All of the above, but you know, what really sets my mind in motion is setting places, places that I've been or that I want to experience. Uh, for example, I, I am, I'm at, right up to the moment that uh, we started this, uh, this interview, I was, I'm plotting a, a new novel that's set in Italy uh back in let's say after uh, my wife and I've taken a couple of trips to uh, Italy with friends and we discovered so many incredible places and it's the places that that set my mind in motion to uh, that, that that makes me feel a connection and really gets the creative energy going and another another thing about Setting is that one of my uh, activities outside of writing is geocaching. I don't know if you even know what geocaching mm-hmm. is. It uh, it's sort of a high tech treasure hunt where people who that they you know geocachers we're called uh, there there are hidden containers out out in the wild. They're everywhere. There are I think something to the effect of three million. Geocaches out in the world. The, a person hides something, uh, uh, a small container, something with swag in it, but they all have a log sheet in them so that when you find them, you sign it to show that you've been there. And what, when, when a person hides one, the, the coordinates, the, uh, GPS coordinates are published on the website and you, and finders go out there and try to find it. Geocaching has taken me to some of the most incredible locations I have ever seen. So many of them close to home or when we're traveling, like when we were traveling in Italy or Spain or France, one of the first things I wanted to do was go out there and go geocaching. And I would find the coolest places I've ever seen in my life. And that gets that creative energy going. Uh, So a lot of times setting, is what fires me up to get a story in the works.
2: So in a way, I guess you probably write your location as a character.
1: Very much so. And and that's something that, as a reader, resonates with me. When a writer uses setting in such a way that it draws me in the same way that, that, that characters would. Uh, and conversely, if a, if a writer... Fails at convincing me of the location that that's 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 definitely points against. There were, there was, there, I'm not going to pinpoint the whos and the wheres or anything, but there were, there, there was one novel back in the 90s that was supposed to be set in Chicago. Now, I lived in Chicago for a lot.
0: To find out if it's right for you.
1: Out of years, there was nothing in that book, not one word in that book, that made me think, oh yeah, Chicago. And it just pulled me right out of that book. On the upside of that, um, another writer I know, Wayne Allen Silly, is a native of Chicago. And so many of his stories are set in Chicago that. Even if you've never been to that city, I don't see how you could mistake his prose for taking place anywhere else. He paints that, that setting with such vividness and such beauty, no matter how, how depraved it might be. There's a beauty in that language in, in putting you within a context. And so that, that is an aspiration of mine to make the setting a character.
2: I think that's great. That's really good. Do, do you also have some sort of subtext or point behind your stories or is it, um, is it just purely entertainment?
1: I like to think that some of the stuff I've written goes well beyond simple entertainment and whether I succeeded, that is not for me to say, um, uh, there are a number of my stories that in varying degrees of actual fact, uh, tell of people and things, feelings and attitudes, uh, that I couch in, you know, in, in, in the world of fiction. But yeah, they are saying things that I feel important. Sometimes I disguise those, those, uh, aspects to the point that I don't know if anyone beyond me as the writer, I don't know if anyone out there is going to get it. But if my feeling is if they do, then then we're on the same page. And I love that. The, the, the key is, is that if they don't get that. They still need to be entertained. I don't want to lose anybody. I, I, um, but yeah, I do have a number of of works that I, I think they're saying something that I had to say that I had to put out there, and I hope people get it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if you, but if you don't get it, I, I hope it doesn't put you off.
2: Well, I think I think, and I would imagine sometimes um, it, it would happen organically. It would just happen without you pre-planning.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rare. Rare that I go into something with uh, I guess what you'd say, an agenda or a a deeper purpose. Yeah. Um, I think they do. They just happen in it. And once I get going with it, I realize yeah, I I have to do this, whatever that this is. Yeah, yeah, I have to do
2: it. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. Well, I, I think and one, one of the things I noticed was, okay, Richard Chismar, who's been on the show. He's a nice guy. I like him. Mm-hmm. He, um, so he gives you a good review of this book. Um, how does that make you feel?
1: Well, I love it. I mean, uh, Rich and I go back to the earliest days of, I think, both of us as creators. Um, he started a little magazine called Cemetery Dance that grew into this fairly massive property uh, in the horror field. And I did, uh, I had a magazine called Death Room. That, that We were contemporary. He and I used to, we used to write letters back in the days before uh, email or anything like that. We shot letters back and forth all the time. And much to my shame, there were times that I, <laughs> I could be so freaking critical of stuff because I, I knew what I liked. And I liked what I knew, so you know sometimes you know Rich would publish something, and I'd go, "What the hell are you thinking man?" <laughs> and he would do the same and uh but over the years i I think Rich took a path that I admire I absolutely admire what he did. My circumstances were that you know i I would have loved to have gone that way, but they just couldn't happen, but the fact that over the years, you know, I, I haven't, I don't see him regularly, but when I do, it's, it's kind of like a, a a nice reunion, you know? Uh, So when somebody of Rich's stature, who knows something of me where I came from and what I do, if, if he is, if, if he has good things to say, then that, yeah, that makes me stand up and go, "Thank you." You know that 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 touches me. It means something to me because I know he's not, you know, he's not just spewing crap. He he is a man of integrity, and it that means a lot of a lot to me.
2: Yeah, it's it's a good, it's great. I mean, I I think it's wonderful when someone comes out. Mm-hmm. Do you do you interact with a lot of people on online and readers, and you are you into all the social media thing in the current world?
1: I I. Keep my, I I as far as social media goes, I mostly deal with Facebook. I've never never found any allure to Twitter. Um, So I once in a while I've got a Twitter account and I'll post something up there. I interact with a good many people on Facebook. Once in a while, if I've got a new book or product or something, I'll go to town and you know do some promotion and stuff uh but i try to as far as social media goes i i try to keep it more informal just you know it's more me and friends and people interacting there's a lot of geocaching stuff out there uh i if one wanted to know how to market on social media don't look at me. I, uh, don't don't. <laughs> I do not feel like I do marketing well. That of all the things I do as a writer, marketing and selling myself is probably the least of them. I freaking hate it. I, I I don't do it well. I don't know how to do it. So I just try to interact with people on, on in the way I do it, and hopefully that 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 as a person, you know, you're not going to say, well. You're awful. I'm not going to buy your stuff. You're awful. I'm not going to interact with you. Whatever. I, I I I try not to go that way.
2: Well, you know, I, I think it's it, it's not necessarily a natural thing, especially for a writer. No, uh, to me, you it know. is not. I mean, a, and um, you're and writing. It's like me and
1: math. <laughs> I have math and I are not good friends and I would say that instead uh, that marketing and I are not good friends. We, we we suck. Well,
2: like I said, it's not a natural thing. You're focusing on writing and doing stories and things right, like that. So right, that's not, exactly, you know. Exactly. That's not. Um now characters, how do you how do you create your characters or get your characters? Is that is this total imagination or is it uh, something you you pick up by you know, you're out at a at a coffee shop, or you're out in the mall looking at people, or it's a
1: yeah, yeah. Both my wife and I are have always been. I mean, she's not a writer or anything. But she's she's more of an artist, but we like people watching. Well, wherever we are, we 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 like to sit at wine bars and drink wine and look around, and without necessarily eavesdropping, if. If we can pick up on mannerisms, on the way people comport themselves with other people, everything goes into this catalog, this this little file cabinet that I have inside. I'm like, I can use that. Yes, I can use that. Uh, And then there are, uh, you know, friends, people of my acquaintance that stand out traits I tend to store in my memory banks, and a lot of times I will weave a character that that I can go back to those those files and go, okay, these traits work, these traits over here work, that dialogue works over here, and then try to compose uh, people that are both believable uh, and in some fashion I. I relatable, relatable, I'm, I'm, I was about to say a lot of, uh, antagonists, I, I don't like to paint antagonists as just bad people, bad forces, whatever, the key, I think, to antagonists is whether, or even anti-heroes, whatever, is to make people that they don't necessarily have to be likable, But in some fashion, you want to relate. You don't want them to just, well, with it, with certain dramatic exceptions. You don't want them to be ciphered. You don't want them to have no depth. And so, yes, whether it be protagonists, antagonists, whoever, I try to draw characters both from experience and from projection to to take the uh, the the characteristics that I have recorded and to weave them into someone that you're actually going to care about, whether positively or negatively.
0: Mm.
2: Do um do you experience characters in any particular way? And I say that because a lot of fiction writers will say that they uh, they hear them or they see them. You know, there's I I hear all sorts of stories. They relate to them like family, like kids, like. Do you have any of that, or do you just sort of...
1: Some Sometimes, yeah, and you've probably heard this before. Actors, characters in roles, you know. You know, I can look at, say, um, the main character of my novel, Blue Devil Island, who is a pilot. I can think, ah, that's a young William Holden. Or I can think of... Uh, a guy, one of my others, and go. Oh, that's Roy Scheider, you know. And and I will see actors playing roles, and it's very easy to plug them into the character that I'm painting. That, that that's not not that's not ubiquitous. That doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes. But but that's one way that they resonate.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Um. So now uh, now this fugue devil, um, thirtieth anniversary. Um, was there a particular <clears throat> reason you? resurfaced, like re- resurged this?
1: <laughs> uh, that was actually not my idea, but I liked the idea. Um, this, It was... There's a little backstory here that a, a few years back... Uh, now, I, I mentioned before, growing up in a little town in Virginia, Martinsville, Virginia, uh, I, I still own my childhood home it was you know after my mom died it was willed to me so i still spend a lot of it's about an hour from here i i spend a lot of time there i love going there a few years back uh samara Wynn, who was a facebook friend you know and the last i knew she lived in california And suddenly I saw she was posting from Martinsville, Virginia. And I'm like that. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's too weird. Uh, So as it turns out, she had moved to Martinsville almost by chance with her um, ex-husband. They moved literally as the crow flies a stone's throw from my old childhood home and uh we we started getting together my wife and we, we we'd sit out and drink wine and talk writing and fiction and everything about the business and she has been publishing her own fiction under her own label for several years and doing extremely well with it and she wanted to branch out into publishing other writers and she had gotten to the point where she, you know, she felt like I've, I've got some work that would be viable, commercially viable that, that she particularly liked. And she said, how would you like to do a collection of your fiction? And here it is, it's going on 30 years since this story, Fugue Devil, which I feel like is one of the most pivotal works, most perfectly personally, meaningful works that i did she goes 30 year anniversary how would you like to have a a fiction collection with that story and whatever you want to put around it and i thought how could i say no to that so we started brainstorming and i started looking at my body of work and thought what would be appropriate to surround that story as a centerpiece here it is 30, exactly 30 years after it was, it first came out. And, uh, so it just sort of was an organic thing. It started growing and, um, collaboratively we put together this collection and now it exists. Uh, and I really do feel like it's probably the single most representative work of, uh, or a collection of, of my, um, of my fiction, my short fiction. Uh, the paperback and ebook versions are available right now. The hardback version has had a slight delay, but should be out very, very shortly. But, but that's kind of how that came about. It was, from my perspective, unexpected and very serendipitous, I suppose.
2: That's like the greatest hits collection.
1: You could say that, I guess you could say that because uh, I don't know if I'm the world's best person to choose greatest hits or anything like that but but I feel like I'm very pleased with the uh, selection of stories in there and you had asked earlier about you know the the themes the the underlying uh, motivation for certain of the of certain stories and I feel like the ones that that have what I Felt I needed to say. I think I managed to get them in there. it's probably the. Uh, I, this is my sixth collection of short fiction, and I and I feel like for me personally, it's the most important.
2: Well, and and I think it's great. What, what do you, do you have a favorite story in there? I know if it's kind of like your your best of in a sense, or it's kind of the the, the ones you appreciate most, as well as new ones. Is there a favorite one of all of these?
1: I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. There are three, three stories that that ha, that are what I would call as a writer pivotal. Few Devil," the title story, is number one in that it is it was the hardest. Story for me to come up with a vehicle for it was based on a true mm-hmm. night horror, a night terror that I had as a teenager that tra- truly traumatized me. I think I was probably somewhere between twelve and fourteen when it happened. Uh, it featured this this entity, this this horrific creature that I think in my brain was a combination of some of the scariest images that ever came to me from like the old horror movies and such. Um, But the the dream itself woke me on three occasions. I, I would have this appearance of this thing, this creature, and I'd wake up in a cold sweat. It was an experience like nothing I'd ever had. I mean, truly woke up sweating and freezing. I'd go back to sleep, and the dream would take up exactly where it left off. The creature would appear again, and the same thing would happen. This happened three times. Uh, And I remember every image from that dream. This minute, that would have been in you know 50s plus years ago but i remember it more clearly than any waking memory or most waking memories from those days and it took me years and years and years to come up with a story something that i could wrap around those those moments of trauma but i was determined that i have to present this this thing this this story because it was so pivotal in my development. So, Fugue Devil, I would say, yes, is number one. There's a second story called Somewhere My Love. You know, like the song title, and it's based on the song title, that is the autobiography that never actually happened. It's a story about a, a young music student and his music teacher and a mutual love of music and ostensibly dark things that happened but it's kind of a love story none of the events in that story actually happened to me as a kid but i wrote them with the emotions that i felt as a kid and i just sort of twisted them i distorted them a little bit and i've read that story aloud on a number of occasions one of them being at at work where I used to work, which was all former teachers. And at the end of reading this aloud, there was not a dry eye in the audience. And I thought, okay, this is the story. That This this did it. And also as an aside, that story was originally published in Orson Scott Card's uh, Intergalactic Medicine Show. And uh, Scott Card read that and posted it on his, uh, on that Magazine website on the Intergalactic Show um, website. And it was, it was the most wonderful reading ever. Um, I listened to it again, as I had mentioned with the Dark Shadows thing. It was like, I didn't even know I wrote this. It was, it was mesmerizing to hear someone else tell this story. And thirdly, and finally, there was, there's a story called Night Crier. Uh, My mom suffered from dementia, and I was her caretaker for several years, and it was the hardest experience I've ever lived through. And she died in uh, 2020. But before she died, I wrote this story that was inspired entirely by my Experience with her dementia, and it's the dark flip side to somewhere, my love. It's it's the autobiography that never happened. But instead of being heartwarming, it's the exact opposite. Inspired by that experience uh, with with my mom. Uh, so those to answer your question, there there's three stories. I couldn't pinpoint it to one, but those three are the ones that, that had to be there. They're they're the ones that those are the stories I had to tell.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. That's it's always good to hear. Um, wow. Now, uh, do you have a website and something like that where people can find you? Or
1: I I do my website, which is is older than the hills. I, I marginally updated. It's just my full name: Stephen Mark dot com. S t e p h e n m a r k r a i n e y. And that had that does have links to my Facebook where I'm pretty active. I've got a blog where I do, um, uh, anything, any and everything related to writing. I put on the blog. I put a lot of geocaching stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff that's basically just for me, but I, but I try to make it entertaining. If you happen to stumble upon this thing, you poor sod. (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's links to all of those on, on my site.
2: Of course, we'll have that up so people can find you easy with one click. Anybody listening, okay. you know, um, it's, how was how was the uh, COVID for you in your writing? Like, did it did it kind of get in the way for you? It's a lot of writers, that, you know, I had two two kind of response. I had writers some that would say that it shut them down, and other writers that would say it it kind of enhanced them.
1: It did shut me down to some extent. Uh, I was hoping for the exact opposite effect, but it really didn't. Real life issues um, truly crowded out the not just the time and energy available, but the spark that 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 moves me to write was was crowded out by real life concerns. Uh, things that had to be done, um, but afterward, a- after the worst of it, and like I said, I've just uh, been suffering with about a COVID myself, which fortunately was virtually negligible. But there was a uh, there was an anthology that uh, has been put together; and hasn't been released yet, based entirely on COVID experiences. Put into the realm of... Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let me let me not go into that background because that might be a spoiler. The editor doesn't want me to spoil. So let's just say, yes, there, there is a, a new anthology coming out that is stories inspired by uh, COVID experiences. And so I did contribute to that. That's fairly recent. And uh, like I said, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm supposed to be talking about it. Uh Uh, in public, so I won't won't give it more than that.
2: Well, it's all good. It's all good. People will love it uh, no matter what. So now the the book, of course, we're talking about is Fugue Devil Resurgence. Um, Our guest is the author, and uh, we appreciate you being here. So that's Stephen Mark Rainey. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Uh, This has been a real pleasure.
0: Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino movie reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
1: Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah.
0: Good night. This has been a production of Something with Media. I'll be back.
1: ACAS powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
0: wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com